Hey everybody, welcome back to the Latin Poetry Podcast. I am Chris Francesi, and um, it's great to have you back. We are working through the Heroides of Ovid here, and this is poem number four, uh, the second section. Uh, I have started to get some very nice feedback about this um, series on Twitter, so thank you for that. I, in particular, I heard from Peter Davis, a wonderful Latinist from Australia, and uh, by coincidence, I had actually read his uh, terrific article about Herodes Four before embarking on this particular poem. So thank you, um, uh, Professor Davis, for listening in. And um, if you, the rest of you would um, like to, please do rate and review the show uh, so that'll help other people find it. All right. So in the first chunk, uh, Phaedra has confessed her love for Hippolytus and um, explained to him that she has an unblemished record for uh, marital fidelity so far, but that she's willing to completely throw that chuck that to the winds uh, if the two of them can uh, uh, get together. And um, in this section, this is starting now at line 37, um, she says that uh, she wants to cultivate Diana and take up hunting like Hippolytus and is driven to mental extremes to a Bacchic-like frenzy and she's burned by madness. So she's trying to get across to him the intensity of her emotions. Uh, I like this section. It's interesting. Phaedra says she wants to do things she's never wanted to do before. Uh, Ignotas mitor in artes. I'm literally being sent. I'm being hurled into unknown skills. Uh, in, in Latin love poetry, the, this kind of intense desire, this uh, you know serious lovesickness, is sometimes expressed by the desire to do crazy and dangerous stuff, like, uh, like to wander in the wilderness among the lairs of wild beasts. Uh, and it's just something that she says she wants to do, and to travel f far away by sea. If you look at Propertius, the very first poem in the collection of Propertius uh, has exactly this idea. Um, but the in this case, uh, so it's sort of similar. It's an analogous passage, but the emphasis here really is on Phaedra's restlessness, how she wants to do stuff that she's never done before. Uh, and I can attest to this, right? Love, love, probably we all can. Love does make us want to do you know, to take up new hobbies. I actually learned Latin initially uh, and also took up the piano for a girl I was desperately in love with in high school. Uh, uh, you know, it was fine for a while. It didn't work out in the end, uh, but I totally get what Phaedra is saying. You know, you want to do what your beloved does, either to impress, you know, with sincerity or just to get closer. Uh, it's, I think it's a little touch of reality that Ovid has put in here. Another way that Latin poets like to think about extreme mental states, of course, is through religious ecstasy. And there are a couple of different cults in antiquity that have that, that element of um, sort of ecstasy, like standing outside of yourself, analogous uh, uh, sort of speaking in tongues or other mystical uh, practices. We see this in the cult of Bacchus, of course, with the Menads and the cult of the Great Mother, which is explored in Catullus 63. They have these self-castrating priests called the Gali, and they go out of their minds. And uh, Catullus and other love po Latin love poets are, are really attracted to this notion of um, just complete loss of individuality and loss of self um, through, through intense uh, emotion. Okay, so we get a bit of this here. Phaedra says that she's swept away. She says, ferror, I am carried away into a frenzy. And the word she uses is furor. Um, and she mentions a couple of these different cults. She mentions Bacchus. She mentions uh, uh, 
the great mother, and she mentions the fawns, the nymphs and the fawns, who also have these ecstatic cults uh, practiced out in the woods, it seems. All right, so uh, she says, look, I'm, I'm having these frenzies <laughs> and I'm unconscious of myself and she doesn't even know what it is. Her servants or somebody has to tell her that she's been having a fit <laughs> when she comes out of it. And uh, she says at the end of this little section, I know, but I know silently in my heart what the cause is. All right, so here's a literal translation, then I'll read the Latin for you. This is lines 37 to 52. Now, also, you will scarcely believe me, I fling myself into pursuits previously unknown to me. Uh, ignotas artes. I have the urge to go through the haunts of savage beasts. Now, the most important goddess to me is the Delian, of course, Diana, known for her curved bow. I myself am following your judgment. I have the desire to go into the forest, and when stags have been forced into the nets, urge on swift hunting dogs through the tops of the mountain ridges, or to hurl a vibrating hunting spear shot out from my arm, or to lay my body down on grassy ground. Often I have the desire to turn the light racing cars on the dusty course, in other words, to ride a chariot, turning the mouth of the swift horse with the reins. At one time, I hurry along like the Bacchanals, driven by frenzy, sent by Bacchus. So at one time, he, she's giving sort of examples, like nunc feror, she says, uh, now in the sense of like at one moment, as opposed to some other moments. And it's not, he's not, she's not saying at this moment, I feel this way. She's like, sometimes I feel this way. All right. So uh, that's, that's the sense of nunc in this passage, Nunc Ferrer. Um, right. At one time, I hurry along like the Bacchanals, driven by frenzy sent by Bacchus, or like those who shake their symbols beneath the hills of Ida, and that's the great mother whose uh, Rhea is her Greek, Greek name. This is the cult uh, from Phrygia uh, that's well known to the Romans because that has been imported into Rome, and it's, so they have these big public processions, and it's, it's sort of well known to Roman readers. Um, as an example of a, a ecstatic Eastern cult. All right, sorry. Or like those who shake their symbols beneath the hill of Ida, or those whom half-divine dryads, these are wood nymphs, dryads, and horned fawns, these are metallic rustic deities, like those that those deities have touched with their divine power and driven mad. So the verb there is, Atono, kind of a rare verb actually, atonuere contactas numines suo, those whom they've driven mad. When the fit is over, my attendants tell me all this. I was conscious that it was love that was torturing me. Right, so the subject of the verb actually is not expressed. It just says referunt, namque mihi referunt, they tell me this. I'm assuming this is her ankylai or her, her servant women uh, or says friends, I don't know. Uh, and then when the furor remiset, when it's over, uh, they tell me everything, and I am conscious, uh, urit amor, me takitam conscius urit amor, literally a conscious love burns me being silent. I think mean what she means is like, I don't talk about it, but in my mind, I, I know, I understand that it's love that's burning me. All right, so here's that section in Latin. Yam quoque vix credes ignotas mitor in artes, est mihi per saivas impetus ire feras, 
iam mihi prima deest arcu praesignis adunco delia, iudicium subsequor ipsa tuum. In nemus ire libet, presi quin retia cervis, hortari celeris per iuga summa canes. Aut tremulum excuso iaculum vibrare lacerto, aut in graminia ponere corpus humo. Saipe huat versare leues in pulvere curus, torquentem frenis ora fugaces equi. Nunc feror ut bacchi furiis eleleides actae, quaeque sub idaio tumpana colle moent, aut quas semideae druades faunique bicornes, numine contactas attonuere suo. Namque mihi referunt, cum se furor ille remiset omnia, me tacitam conscius urit amor. In the next section, uh, lines 53 to 67, uh, Phaedra muses that, that perhaps it's some kind of family curse that the women of her Cretan line all suffer in love. And she mentions a couple well-known instances. Uh, Europa, of course, is abducted by Jupiter in the form of a bull from her home in Phoenicia and brought to Crete. This is the mother of, the, of Minos. Uh, Pasiphae, her own mother, of course, who famously uh, uh, has sex with the bull, the Cretan bull, and gives birth to the Minotaur. And then finally, Ariadne, her sister, Pasiphae's sister, also a daughter of Minos, who was abandoned by, uh, well, so who fell in love with Theseus when he was there to kill the Minotaur, helped him, and then was subsequently abandoned by him on the island of Naxos. Okay, so uh, she's, <laughs> she's thinking, oh, guys, I can't win. You know, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm of this family. It's the way it goes. Just as Ariadne, uh, was taken with Theseus's good looks. He says, so is she with Hippolytus. Um, so it's an interesting passage. I guess it's de rigueur to have your mythical exempla, you know, when you're making an argument like this. But if you think about it, by citing these examples, she's m admitting that her love is pathological. She's comparing her own love for for uh, Hippolytus with Pasiphae's love for the bull. Uh, but you know, I, I guess that's not her intention, intended point. What she's saying is that, you know, fate, it's fate. And saying it's fate is another way of saying that she can't control it, that she's just out of, it's not not under her rational control. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how that argument would work in real life. Like if you're trying to seduce somebody, it's like, well, it's in my family, you know, we have a kind of type and, you know, you're it. I, but uh, probably not too effective, but in Greek mythology, these kinds of multi-generational curses, right, operate all the time. So I think in context, it sounds kind of oddly convincing <laughs> in, uh, in, this, in this way. All right, uh, so here's that section. It's kind of short, uh, 50, 53 to 67. Perhaps we should explain this love, forciton, generous fato redamus amorum. This is how I take redo, redamus, um, to assign the responsibility for something. I think that's the sense. Perhaps we should explain this love as resulting from the fate of my family. Uh, and Venus exacts tribute from my entire line. Uh, 
So uh, the word is uh, tributa petat, ex tota gente. She seeks tribute. Um, another way to take reddo would be like rendering a debt. So like they, the whole family owes some kind of debt to Venus. Uh, I guess that's the slightly different metaphor. Okay, uh, she says Europa, she's the founder of my line, was loved by Jupiter, a god hidden beneath the shape of a bull, tauro dissimulante deum, the bull concealing the god. So, so very concise the way he puts that. My mother, Pasiphae, deceived a bull and submitted herself to it, then birthed the shameful burden of her womb. Oh, it's amazing. I love my favorite line so far, I think, in this poem. Pasiphae uh, mater decepto subdita tauro, Right, having been submitted to the deceived bull, the bull didn't know what was going on. A nix est utero crimen onusque suo. She, she gave birth in her womb, suo, to crimen onusque, literally crime and burden. And I, I take this, um, commentators take it different ways, but I, I see it as a hentaides. Um, the sort of criminal burden. Onus is not uh, uncommon. It's also used of an unborn child. So that makes sense. Like onus is the, the fetus. Uh, but <laughs> he says crimen et onus, the crime and the burden. I mean, the Minotrost is beautifully phrased. All right. Uh, so where was I? Uh, yeah. The faithless son of Aegeus followed the guiding threads, Ducentia Phila, and fled the winding labyrinth thanks to the aid of my sister. So I'm, I'm sort of adding a little bit in translation here. It just says, he, Theseus, fled the curva tecta, the, the curving, the winding building. Obviously, he's referring to the labyrinth. And now look at me. She says, en ego nunc. <laughs> here I am. Fruit doesn't fall far from the, from the tree. Uh, look at me. As if to prove my credentials as a daughter of Minos, I am the latest to be subject to the common rules of my tribe. And these are very hard lines to translate. I puzzle over them. En ego nunc ne forte parum minoa credar, lest perchance I be insufficiently believed minoa, a Minoan girl or a daughter of Minos. In socias leges ultima gentiseo, I go into the socias leges, the kind of shared laws Gentis of my tribe, Ultima as the last one. All right, so I think I actually stole this from A.S. Klein. Um, I'm the latest to be subject to the common rule, rules of my tribe. That's a nice, I think it's an elegant way to do that. Okay, uh, almost done with this little section. And here is something else that can be put down to fate. One house was pleasing to two women. Your good looks are capturing me. My sister was captured by your father. Theseus and the son of Theseus have ravished two sisters. And the word there is rapuere. Uh, right. Uh, set, up, uh, set up a double trophy in triumph over my house. And I'm also expanding that slightly. She just says, ponite de nostra bina tropaia domo. Put, put up uh, twin trophies, bina tropaia de nostra domo, literally from our house. And I, that's a kind of idiomatic Latin there, when you're a general, you triumph, like ex Gaulis, you know, tri triumph over the Gauls, celebrate a triumph based on a conquest of. So it's a, it's a pregnant use of de, uh, they're akin to 
Um, just if you know like Latin triumph terminology, that's what she's alluding to. Cool, all right, so here's the Latin for that section. Forsitan hunc generis fato ridamus amorem, et venus ex tota gente tributa petat. Jupiter europen primest agentis origo dilexit tauro dissimulante deum. Pasifae mater decepto subdita tauro enixest utero crimen onusque suo. Perfidus aegides ducentia fila secutus curva meae fugit tecta sororis ope. En ego nunc ne forte parum minoia credar in socias leges ultima gentis eo. Hoc coque fatalest placuit domus una duabus. Me tua forma capit capta parentes soror. Thesides, thesius queduas rapuere sorores. Ponite de nostra bina tropaea domo. Next comes the extraordinary section where Phaedra describes how attractive she found Hippolytus when she first saw him at a place called Eleusis. Eleusis is the site of the celebration of the Eleusinian Mysteries, which is a, a, an important religious ceremony, it goes on for quite a few days, uh, happens periodically, and it would be a, a as we said, you know, Phaedra is separated from Hippolytus in that she's in Athens and Hippolytus is in Troezen, so it actually makes sense they would meet in Eleusis, uh, which is sort of midway between. Uh, and a religious festival is a sort of classic location for love to spark, um, love at first sight, or it, it's just in, in mythology, this is sort of often how it works, so it makes sense. It's notable that um, Hippolytus is known for his love of hunting, of course, a profession which for some reason is always associated with sexual abstinence in Greek mythology. This is important background to this poem and to this myth that hunting and sexual abstinence go together in Greek mythology. Daphne and Callisto are the most famous examples of huntresses, right, who want nothing to do with men. Why is this? Uh, I don't know. I, Diana, the goddess of the hunt, is a virgin goddess, so it makes, I guess, some sense that all of her devotees must also be virgins. Um, the interesting thing to me, though, about Diana is that her chastity, her virginity, is not the same as the humble chastity of the Christian nun, right? Her purity it has a challenging, unattainable eroticism, a kind of proud, potentially violent athleticism and toughness about it. It's fascinating. She's feminine and sexy and a beautiful physical specimen, but woe unto those like Actaeon who see her naked. Right, so it's an interesting kind of sexiness that's very forbidding. Uh, Hippolytus is a male version of this. He is an athletic virgin with no interest in the opposite sex, and seeing him just drives Phaedra wild. All right, this is how Ovid writes the scene. She said, At the time when we participated in the 
celebration of Ceres at Eleusis, I wished that the Cretan earth had kept me, uh, detained me at that time. De tinuiset humus, I guess that she wishes she had been buried um, in Crete uh, before she ever came to Attica. An especially keen love clung to my inner marrow at that time. Uh, so, tunc mihi praecipue acer in extremis osibus heiset amor. Um, so it was especially intent at that time. Although you were also attractive to me previously. Yeah, nec non tamen ante placebas. So she's had some contact with him before, but this is what really got her going. Your clothing was bright white. Your hair ringed around with a garland of flowers. Your face tinged with a modest, with a reddish modesty, I guess. Um, it's a little hard to do. Flawa rubor, vericundus rubor, so a bashful blush, redness, tinxerat ora, flawa ora, had, had tinged your, flawa ora could mean like tanned or reddish, literally it's yellow, but um, the commentators I think agree here that it means reddish based on a parallel in the Ars Amatoria. So the point is he's blushing and that's attractive. <laughs> a face which other women call st stiff and stern. Uh, but in Phaedra's judgment, it shows strength, not stiffness. Yeah, so other women call it rigidum trucemque, rigidum stiff or rigid, and trux, which means like um, grumpy or <laughs> stern. All right, uh, so that's what the other way other girls say about Hippolytus, right? Because <laughs> he's, he's kind of, he is kind of a, like that. He's priggish and, and humorless. And so she responds that in her judgment, it shows, she says, in Phaedra's judgment, it shows strength, not stiffness. I want nothing to do with young men made up like a woman. Masculine beauty loves to be cultivated within modest limits. Fine coli modico forma virilis amat. Uh, and this is a theme that Ovid re returns to in the Ars Amatoria, that men shouldn't seem like they were working too hard in their appearance. That sternness of yours and your hair artlessly neglected and the light dust on your distinguished face were very becoming. She calls him, uh, his face, egregio, that is like outstanding, egregio in ore. Uh, he's got dust because he's, he's an athlete. Yeah. If you are turning the resisting neck of a hot-headed horse, I marvel at his hooves, how they turn in a tight circle. If you hurl a flexible spear with a strong arm, or if you hold a cornelwood spear with a broad iron head, it is your warlike arm, your ferox arm, that attracts my entire attention. In short, whatever you do gives pleasure to my eyes. Denique nostra juat lumina, quid quid agis. Uh, here's the Latin for that. Tempore quo nobis initest Carialis elusin, Cnosia me vellem de tinuisit humus. Tunc mihi praecipue, nec non tamen ante placebas, acer in extremis osibus haesit amor. Candida vestis erat praecincti flore capilli, flava verecundus tinxeret ora rubor. Quemque vocant aliae, vultum rigidumque trucemque, 
pro rigido faedra judice fortis erat. Sint procula nobis juvenes ut femina compti. Fine coli modico forma virilis amat. Te tuus iste rigor positique sine arte capilli, et levis egregio pulvis in ore decet. Siwe ferocis equi luctantia colla recurvas, exiguo flexos miror in orbe pedes. Seu lentum valido torques hastile lacerto, ora ferox in se versa lacertus habet. Si tenes lato, ve nabula cornea ferro, denique nostra juat lumina, quidquid agis. Denique nostra juat lumina, quidquid agis. All right, that's probably enough for today. Uh, we'll pick up next time. Uh, in the meantime, if you get a chance, go check out uh, Peter Davis's work on this poem. I'll put a link in the show notes uh, for that uh, terrific article from 1995 that uh, uh, was very helpful for me when I was getting ready. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.